0: Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Kangaroo Court's Conclusion Crucify Mark 15, 15 15-20. And this is really part two we'll talk about it in just a minute. But kangaroo court we talked about last week, there's no justice, and it's just a scam, it's a setup. And our country, really, speaking of kangaroo court and justice, our country is really facing a crisis, a serious crisis. We no longer trust our justice system, do we? It's a big problem. This whole movement, the Black Lives Matter movement... Although now it's been hijacked by reverse racists and the media has twisted a lot of the storylines and the truth on it. But there have definitely been what initially led to the the sparking of it. There have definitely been innocent people killed and in some cases no consequences, right? And which has caused many people to lose hope in our justice system that, that that, that they might not be able to get justice. We see it in the politics right now. We see someone running for presidency who, who uh, Hillary Clinton. I'm going to say it, but right? she's she's been caught lying over and over. Even CNN finally admitted she's lying. Right, over and over and over again, lying. 70% of the country doesn't trust her, and yet there are no consequences. Now, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for any of that stuff, but, but I just want to say this. There's no consequences, and people are getting really upset with this, you know, the FBI and all the lack of justice. In fact, I really think that's what f- has fueled this whole Trump mania. On a typical election year, Donald Trump would not have be, be in the running for the presidency, right? But the reason someone like Donald Trump is in it right now is because people are angry. They feel like there's no justice. And this is someone who speaks very bluntly and, and not politically correct. And, and that has attracted a lot of people to that, that speaking. But, but it's because so many people feel like there's no justice. And we see this, and it's not everybody feels that way in our whole country. Whether, whatever political party, whatever color they are, people feel like there's no justice. Well, nothing has changed. 2,000 years ago, Jesus experienced the same thing. And as we have looked at Jesus' story, we see the same issues in our country today. Nothing has changed. It's a kangaroo court that Jesus is facing. Now, we saw how the religious leaders authorities had tried two very slick moves to get Jesus executed. They tried a lynching, and that didn't work. They tried political accusation, he's a terrorist, that didn't work. It doesn't work, Pilate says, not guilty. Now what usually happens after someone is declared not guilty? What should have happened? But let's see what did happen. It's not what should have happened. Let's see what does happen to Jesus. And I'm just going to pray before we get into the word. Father, we thank you for the worship, we thank you for answered prayers, we thank you for bringing us through many struggles and trials in our lives. Thank you for your mercy and grace that has us here today worshiping together and opening your word together. We pray that your spirit would speak to us through your word now, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to read the Mark 15, 15 to 20. Put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Now once again, Mark is writing to people in Rome, Roman Christians. And real blunt, they already know about this. They see this every day. It's like watching you know, TV. You know? You know, they see the gladiators. They see the beatings. They see the crucifixions. He doesn't describe much. John, though, is writing to a different audience. And in John, he writes a lot more details. A lot more details. And I want to focus on John's account because, because of the extra details. Let's go to John 19. The Holy Spirit led each of them to, to describe things in a different way, different details. Then Pilate, verse 9, chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and they had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. Once more... Pilate came out to the Jews. Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. Now, once again, I want to mention the Jews. Remember we talked about this? When he says the word Jews, he's not talking about the Jewish people. Jesus is Jewish. The disciples are Jewish. They're all Jewish here. When he uses the term John, John uses it of the religious leaders. So when you see the term Jews, he's not talking about Jewish people. He's, he's, it's a term that was used for the religious leaders of the Jewish people. Okay? So when you see that, just remember that. Okay, um, He says, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize that I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Okay, starting with verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Flogged. Now, he was already declared not guilty, right? Verse 1, had him flogged. This is Pilate, the politician, at work. The politician trying to make the crowd happy. I will rough him up, but I won't kill him. They would, it, the whip that the Romans used was, had all these rope strings off, and on each end was a piece of jagged, sharp metal, and they would whip the person and drag this over the person's back 40 times minus 1. Why not 40? Because 40 was considered lethal. It would probably kill the person. So it was 40 minus 1. The historian Josephus, I read his, the book, an amazing book, he, said he was an eyewitness to a flogging. He said when he saw the flogging, it laid the person's bones bare. A lot of you remember the movie, The Passion of the Christ, and I remember a lot of people saying, I just can't watch it, it's too graphic, or I saw it, and there's no way it could be that bad. Actually, it was much worse than they showed. In fact, doctors who study the, the um, crucifixion and the beating, the doctors, medical doctors, said if you were to beat someone that many times, 39 times, you would be able to reach in and touch the person's internal organs. Not guilty. So Why? Why was Jesus beaten? Pilate is hoping to satisfy the crowd without killing Jesus. He wants to satisfy them without actually killing them. But God also has a reason for this beating, this flogging. Prophecy, fulfilling of prophecy. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Some of your versions, you're reading this, says by his stripes we are healed. By his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. This beating fulfilled that. Jesus took our beating. He took our punishment in our place because we all broke God's law. We are not innocent. We could not stand before God's throne and, and hear somebody, him say, not guilty. Every one of us is guilty. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Every one of us. But someone has to pay. Cosmic justice demands payment. And Jesus took that punishment in our place. He paid our price I remember reading the book years ago, The Prince and the Pauper. And The Prince and the Pauper, as they made a movie and all that, uh, the the prince had a whipping boy. Whenever the prince would do something wrong, somebody had to pay. That's justice. The king has to know that. You know, the, the prince has to know that. And they had a boy that his job was to take the beating. If he, the prince didn't do his, his studies well, well, whipping boy came out and they beat the, the whipping boy. And that's actually based on a fact both Charles, the, uh, Charles II and James I both actually had a whipping boy because as rulers they had to know someone had to take the beating. But no one's going to spank him because when he becomes king, what's he going to do? <laughs> Revenge, right? So nobody would touch him, so they had a whipping boy. And that's Jesus took our beating. For everything we've ever done, or every beating that we should have taken, Jesus took it. But Pilate doesn't stop with the beating. Because he wants to appease the voters. He doesn't stop with that. Uh, You can just imagine, Pilate, I don't personally think it's right to beat Jesus. But but each mob has the right to choose. Uh, And besides, a Jew is not a real person anyway. Sound familiar? Nothing has changed, has it? The reasoning hasn't changed. And besides, my job is to keep my job. Nothing has changed. My job is to keep my job. So he goes along with the beating and much worse. Verse 2 Look what happens. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. The crown of thorns. Why a crown? Because he's a king. He put a crown on a king. But they're really mocking the Jews. Because they knew the Jews wanted to be independent. They knew they they were there. The soldiers were there to make sure they didn't get their independence. They, They know they want their own king. But they're mocking the Jewish hopes for a king and independence. And the thorns were a form of torture. They were meant to hurt Jesus, there there were torture, but God has another reason for this crown of thorns. It was meant to reverse the curse. It's a picture of the curse being reversed. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, it says, in Genesis chapter 3, listen to the curse after Adam and Eve have sinned. What God says, and he says, and to Adam, verse 17, because you have listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. It will produce thorns. It's a picture. Thorns are a picture of the curse. A picture of the curse. It's a a sign of the curse of sin. But Jesus carried the pain of our curse. He carried our guilt in that crown of thorns. It's symbolic that the curse is upon his head. He took God's wrath upon himself... All on his head. He wore something else too. Back in John 19, verse 2 and 3. Not only did he wear that, but he wore something else. It says here, The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe. And went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him on the face. He also, they also clothed him in a purple robe. Now, both John and Mark mentioned the purple robe here, right? What is it a picture of? Purple. Royalty. Once again, prophetic. But they're actually playing a game with Jesus. They're playing a game called King, the king's game or the game of the king. That's what the Roman soldiers, we know that from history and we know that from Jerusalem, that that's what they would do. They've actually found this game scratched in the floor as a excavate archaeologists find these all over the place but they've even found them in Jerusalem where the Roman soldiers were and it was scratched into the floor they would scratch it with metal into the floor and this intricate board game they had called the game of the king and they would throw dice they would have a person who was a prisoner and they would throw dice and they would move the king piece from wherever it landed and they would move it around on the board and act out on the space and each of the spaces represented torture and they would throw the dice, and instead of kissing the king, they would spit on him. Instead of going up and touching the king's scepter like you would do with a real king, instead of doing that, they would grab the, the, the scepter away from the victim and, and beat him with it. Which is was, was where they did that with Jesus. And then this game would go on and on until they finally reached the last space, which was crucify the victim. So they're actually moving through this, this game with Jesus. And, and that's why they put the purple robe on him, because they're actually playing the king's game with him. But Matthew 27, 28 has a very interesting take on the robe. In Matthew 27, 28, they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Wait a minute. What, now, what, what is this? Is this a contradiction, a scarlet robe? Is it like the internet thing was, is this dress gold or is it blue? What color did you say? We had fights in our house in the Wilson house over was the color? Is it blue or gold? Right? That's not what this is. Uh, actually, the soldiers most likely used an old soldier's cape, and the old soldier's cape was scarlet. The, the, you have ever seen pictures of the Roman soldiers? They have a scarlet cape coming off the back. But we all, when scarlet begins to fade, what color does it turn? Purplish. It turns purplish. So they have this old scarlet cape that Soldier Bright killed. They have that cape. And it, we all know it's scarlet. Do they know it's scarlet? Matthew knows that. And yet it is faded to, to a purplish color, which is why they were using it for the Kings game. Because it looked, was, was purplish. Think of an old football uniform. If you ever had an old football uniform, they start to fade and you kind of see two different colors there. And that's why they reference, they both reference the same robe, but a different color. The scarlet robe, it's a scarlet robe, but it looks purplish, okay? And that's why they would use it for the king's game as a purple robe, but it's really the, the scarlet robe that the soldiers use. Now, we know purple is for king, but Matthew is stressing something else here. He brings out the scarlet tint of the robe, and that's because it's a sacrifice for sin, that the blood has been shed. In fact, in Isaiah 1.18 the prophet prophesying said, Come now, let us reason together, declares the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. And this is a fulfillment of that. It also fulfilled, and now follow me on this because this is wild. A lot of you think, oh, the Old Testament is boring, and then what's, what are we? This is wild. It's not. Numbers 4. In Numbers four, verses seven to eight and then verse thirteen it says this. Listen to this. They're talking about the the articles in the tabernacle. And it says, Over the table of the presence, they are to spread a blue cloth, and put on it the plates, dishes, bowls, and the jars for drink offerings. The bread, the bread, that is continually there is to remain on it. Over these they are to spread a scarlet cloth. Down on verse 13. They are to remove the ashes from the bronze altar and spread a purple cloth over it. I'm going to connect some dots. Uh, one, of my, one of the real interesting books I read is called The Boring Parts of the Bible. I can't even remember the author's name. But, but listen to what he points out here. Boring Parts of the Bible... I'm just going to read because he he states it so well. He says, In Numbers 4, we are told at some length how the Jews wrapped up the sacred furniture and utensils when they journeyed. All the precious things were wrapped in blue cloth except two. The showbread with certain utensils was covered with a scarlet cloth, and the altar was covered with purple. Now, Now listen to this. One other time in Scripture... Only one other time in scripture are purple and scarlet, scarlet mysteriously linked in the robe that Jesus wore before Pilate. When Christ, the bread of life, was ready to be sacrificed for us on the great altar of God, he was wrapped by others in scarlet and in purple. Wow. Wow. There are no boring parts of the Bible. Then in verses 4 to 6, back to John 19. John 19. There's so many prophecies and types fulfilled by Jesus Christ. In John chapter 19, verse 4 to 6, we get to the next part where he says, Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to. Once again, he's innocent. Very important. He keeps stressing innocence, innocence. Last passage, we saw the same thing. Why? Because Jesus didn't die because he broke the law. He died for us because we have broken the law. And Pilate comes out and says, here's the man. See, he's in pain. You've had your fun. Now let's all go get our breakfast. It's early in the morning, right? Let's all go get our breakfast. He hoped that the blood would satisfy these religious Le- religious leaders, right? He thought it would satisfy them, that they would be happy with that and would say, that's enough. Okay, he's bleeding, bloody. He can reach it and touch his internal organs. He's got the crown of thorn. Thought it would send him home, but no, they're like sharks. When sharks smell blood, they go nuts. And that's what these guys are. They're spiritual sharks. And they, and they, they start to scream, crucify him. But he says, no, I'll beat him, by, but I won't kill him. I have my morals, right? But they keep insisting that that Pilate crucifies them. They're insisting that he commits murder. That's really what they want him to do. They want him to murder Jesus, which he's murdered a lot of Jewish people. We talked about that last time. But he challenges them. Instead, he challenges them to defy Roman law. He says, you kill him. Now, he's not serious. He's really challenging them to defy Roman law. But he's not serious. They knew Pilate was mocking them. Otherwise, they would have jumped at the chance. These sharks would have torn him to pieces, right? The lynching doesn't work. The political accusation fails, so they try a third strategy. They they get really upset here, and they try a third strategy in verse 7. The Jews insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the son of God. They try a religious charge. A religious charge. He claimed to be the son of God. Don't let anyone ever tell you That Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. Don't let them ever tell you that he never claimed to be the Son of God. That he never claimed deity. That he never claimed equality. That's the main thing that the cults attack. They always go after who Jesus really was. He's... They'll play all kinds of games with Jesus, whether it's Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses, all these different cults, but they'll, they'll try to twist who Jesus really is. World religions do the same thing. Jesus is a good prophet, but he's just not the Son of God. They'll, that same thing they do. You're, when you, a lot of you going off to college soon, you're going to hear your professors, and they're going to say, "Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God." Now, they're supposed to like not talk about God, right? You know, supposed to leave that off the table. But no, they're happy to attack Jesus, you know. And so they'll say, "He never claimed to be the Son of God." People come back to me, "Oh, I couldn't, didn't know Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. I didn't know that." I was a youth pastor for ten years, and my. Students would come back and they'd say, "I didn't know that." I go, "It's because it's not true." Hand your teacher the Bible and say, uh, "Yeah, show me these things you're lying, to, you know, saying about." You know, and they never could find all the things they were saying. They never read it. They're just parroting something somebody had told them. And I said, "Listen," and I would show my students. And they would go back to the professor and show them Jesus clearly claimed to be the Son of God over and over in Scripture. In fact, back up in John 5:18, a couple of chapters back, John 5:18. Listen to what G- the enemy say. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. His enemies knew exactly what he was claiming. That's why they're trying to kill him. The the Jews, their religious leaders, once again, all the way through the book of John are trying to kill him. And now we're getting to the, the ending part here. He clearly claimed it. And not only did he claim it, he connected the dots. If he is the only son of God, there's only one way to get to God. Through the Son. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's what he said. And we either have to accept Jesus, what he says, or we throw it all out. He made it very clear that you cannot come to the Father except through him. Very, very clear. There's only one way to get to the one true God, and our one true God has one name. It's Jehovah. Anybody who won't come to Him in the name of, and call Him Jehovah is not coming to the one true God. And there's only one way to get to Him, and that's through Jesus Christ, His only Son. By putting our faith in Jesus, His death on the cross in our place. Putting our faith in Him, our trust in Him, asking Him to forgive us. That is the only way to get to the one true God. And that's why they're trying to kill him, because he claims to be the only Son of God, the Son of God. John, back to John 19:7. They're trying to kill him for that. It's the same today. Same thing that they tried to get Jesus for.' They're the same thing today. Listen, it's okay if you everybody's okay with the good guy Jesus, right? Who wouldn't be good, are you okay with this Jesus that pets sheep and picks up children and kisses babies? and everybody's okay with that Jesus? Everybody's okay with, with the good teacher, Jesus. The golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Everybody's okay with that, that, that teacher, Jesus. They're just not okay with the, with the only way to God, Jesus. They're not okay with the only son of God, Jesus. And yet that's what Jesus was. That's who Jesus is is john three sixteen? for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life that's jesus and that's the jesus people don't like that's the jesus people reject that's the jesus people push back and get angry at us over but that's the, the real jesus i remember when we started this church and some of you, any, anybody still left from way you checked? A couple of people still yeah, There's a couple of heads out there 16 years ago. Remember we started Remember the attacks we had? You know, it wasn't construction, it was policemen out there and picketers and, and TV cameras sometimes and all kinds of crazy things going on. And the, the person that drove that whole thing started lies and told lots of lies about us. Uh, but I remember she was doing her best to make sure that this church did not start in this town. They didn't want a Christian, Bible-believing, Christ-centered church in the town of New Hope, and they told me that. And this one woman was really driving this thing. And we went round and round and round. You know, we talked. I tried really hard to talk to her, but she went to the board meetings and political meetings, and oh my, it was unbelievable. It sent that everybody had to sign the um, petition to, to drive us out. It was crazy. Some of my best friends now signed that petition. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, so they, they didn't know, they just believed whatever she said. So, uh, <clears throat> round and round about homosexuality. It's not wrong. The Bible says it is. No, it's not wrong. And marriage, and all the whole crazy marriage thing. But she was driving it way back then. She told me exactly what's going to happen in our country. Sure enough, it happened. Uh, she attacked Jewish people. It's crazy. She was like telling me 9-11, the Jews really blew up the World Trade Centers. And that was their doing. It wasn't, wasn't, you know, terrorists. It's crazy. These people, when people really hate Christians, guess who they usually hate too? 99.9% of the time. They hate the Jewish people. They know it's God's people. They hate God's people. And so we're going through all this, and I kept bringing her back to Jesus. Every time she attacked, i would bring her back to Jesus, back to Jesus, back to Jesus. And finally, I'll never forget it, we're on the phone. She wouldn't get together with me. We're on the phone. Every time I saw her in real life, she screamed curse at me and all this stuff. We're on the phone. And I'll never forget, a light went on. She finally was like, you know what? I'm just realizing something. The real issue is, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I don't. I said, yes! (laughs) Now, she was going to a church, I'm not going to name it, in our town. Christian Church. No problem there. It's apostate, obviously. But, no problem going there not believing Jesus, Son of God. But she finally figured this out. You believe Jesus, Son of God? Yes! That's exactly it! We're now on the same page. And I said, and I'm thinking in my head, now go ahead and persecute me. Because I'm not, it's not about marriage and homosexuality and anti-Semitism and all that stuff. Although that's all, those, are, those are the effect of it. But the real issue is Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. And once we got that understanding, she went after me all the more. But at least she was attacking me for the right reason. That's the right reason. The real issue. He is the only son of God. And the only way to God is by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And what he did on the cross for us. And the only way we can have brand new life is by putting our faith in Jesus who rose from the dead. To prove he was the son of God. And gives us that new life. So back to, back to Pilate here in verse 9. When Pilate heard this, son of God, when he heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave no answer. So Pilate now is all shook up. Right? He's all shook up. Maybe starting to believe there's more to this Jesus than he realized. It kind of reminds me of It's a Wonderful Life. Remember in The Wonderful Life, uh, Jimmy Stewart, but what was his, his name in the movie? George Bailey, thank you, George Bailey. Uh, you know, Jimmy Stewart, when he, he, he sees this Clarence, right, and he thinks he's this crazy guy, but all of a sudden, he's starting to realize that maybe Clarence really is an angel. Remember that, that realization? How that he's like, huh? you know, is it really an angel? And that's what's happening to Pilate here. He's starting to realize there's more to Jesus than he thought. And there's also more reason to it because back in Matthew 27, verse 19, we see what Pilate's wife says to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. She had a dream. She warns him. Uh, She already warned him, and let's all say it together. He should have listened to his wife. Okay, so we said it. All right. Tradition says that she became a Christian. Tradition says, we don't know for sure, but tradition, there may be some truth to that. She became a Christian. But he's all shook up. And then we see in verses 10, we see why he shook up. He's starting to really understand something here. Verse 10, do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you, should, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Jesus says, I'm in control, not you, not Rome, not this mob. I'm in control here. And it hits Pilate like a ton of bricks. He's the real prisoner. He's the guy actually on trial. Jesus isn't on trial. Pilate's on trial. It's Pilate's trial, right? And he's desperate to free Jesus now. He's trying desperately here. This whole picture, he's trying to free him. But they use a final strategy. They have a trump card to use on Pilate. Verses 12 to 15. Look at what they say to him. They use blackmail. Blackmail. Verse 12. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to them. said to the Jews. Jews, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Interesting, we have, no chief, we have no king but Caesar. And we know what happened because of the rejection of Jesus, prophetically. We know what happened to the Jewish nation. They did not have a king except Caesar for almost 2,000 years until God brought them back 1948 the miracle of the restoration preparing for the second coming of Jesus Christ their messiah but we see here that they they tried the blackmail on him you're no no friend of caesar and this term is not just say, well, you're not Caesar's friend anymore. You're not, know, you kids. You know, you're not my friend. Are you my friend? No, no. This is, a, this is a very technical term. It was given to Caesar's officials and his favored inner circle. And Pilate had this tag, friend of Caesar. It was very important. It was great to have this title. It gave you incredible power, but disastrous and even deadly to lose it if he lost this. And they're saying to him, If you don't do this, we're going to tell on you, Pilate. We're going to to go right to Caesar. We're going to send him a letter. We're going to contact Wikileaks, and you're going to be finished. You're going to be finished once we pass the word down the line. And they know Pilate will back down if you apply enough pressure. They knew that about his character. It had already worked before. They knew it. They just had to find the right button to push. In fact, in the start of Pilate's rule, he had brought the standards into Jerusalem with the emperor's image on that. And the people rioted because they would not allow an idol to come into Jerusalem, right? And they rioted. It was a massive riot. And he had the soldiers, and they were ready to kill him. He said, I'm going to kill you. And they bared their necks. They all bent down and bared their necks to the soldiers and said, cut our heads off. Pilate backed down because that would have sparked a big riot. And riots are risky. Sometimes they go the way you want, and sometimes they don't. And he wasn't sent there to start riots, he was sent there to keep the peace, the Roman peace, right? So they already know he's gonna He'll back down. If they put enough pressure, they push the right button. Pilate wants to free Jesus. We see him keep trying to free Jesus. He wants to free him, but he's already on thin ice with Tiberius. He's already in trouble with him. And Tiberius is a sick, paranoid ruler, like most of the Roman rulers were, right? And, And he's a sick, paranoid man. Pilate's already on thin ice. These religious leaders know that. That's why they're playing the WikiLeaks thing. You know, you're no friend of Caesar's. We're going to report you. And he knew that one wrong step could get him replaced permanently. And that's what finally did happen. In fact, let me read you a little history on the little ending of his life so you know what he was afraid of and what really did happen. I don't even remember where I got this from which book, but the historical pilot says, listen to this, Pilate's tragic ending. Pilate's service as a prefect ended when he prevented and slew many Jews who mistakenly had been told that the vessels of the tabernacle were on top, on top of Mount Gerizim. So they heard this rumor. The vessels, the tabernacle vessels were on top of Mount Gerizim. They all start rushing up to the top. He says, stop, they don't listen. So he, he killed a whole bunch of them. He had enough, <laughs> right? He killed a whole bunch of them. The Samaritans forwarded a complaint to Pilate's Superior, who appointed a new prefect and ordered Pilate home to Rome. Not good. It is said that he was banished to uh, the Rhone in southern France, where he ultimately committed suicide. And if you know anything about Roman politics, he probably had to commit suicide or a face worse. Right? Thank Rommel and you know Nazi Germany. Pilate knows that these Jewish religious leaders are total hypocrites. We have no king but Caesar. These are the same guys who rioted because he brought Caesar's image into to, to Jerusalem, right? But we have no king about Caesar. He knows they're complete hypocrites, but he's afraid. They've blackmailed him. They push the right button, and Pilate caves in again. And in verse 16, John 19, verse 16, it says finally Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. There's a lot more to the story, isn't there? We're going to look at the crucifixion next week. But I want to end with this question. We all have a choice to make, just like Pilate did. Will we pick Caesar or Christ? Will we choose the world or Jesus? That's it. Each one of us has this decision. Maybe you're here saying you're not a Christian yet. You're seeking. That's awesome. Some, of, some people come for yours, and they finally put their faith in Christ. Super. But, but maybe you're here. But you, if you're not a Christian yet, you have a choice to make. We all do. Which will affect our life here now and forever in eternity. Jesus or the world. Jesus and anything else, anybody else. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Then he goes on to say in verse 36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. We must all make the choice, Christ or Caesar, Jesus or the world. Every one of us is like Pilate. Every one of us has to make this decision. Everyone here. And even after we put our faith in Jesus, after we become a Christian, we still have to make this choice daily, don't we? Because we're under constant pressure Constant attack, constant temptation, constant push to compromise our faith, to follow the world, to give into the flesh, to give into Satan's lies. We're constantly being hammered on this, right? Every day we have to still make that choice. It doesn't affect our salvation, but it affects our sanctification. Becoming holy like Jesus, becoming, becoming like Christ, it affects that. It affects our fulfilling our purpose. God has given each of us a purpose in Christ. It affects us fulfilling that purpose in reaching other people with the love of Christ. In achieving our spiritual potential. It doesn't affect salvation, but as a Christian, it affects sanctification. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Memorize this one if you don't have it memorized. Therefore, I urge you. If you have God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Every day we have a choice to make. Am I going to be conformed? And the word in, in, in the Greek is to be squeezed into a mold. Am I just going to be a piece of Plato squashed? Or am I going to... Be a transformer, power, right? A transformer. I love the transformers. But we're we're all supposed to be transformers, transformed into something amazing. And the whole key is: are we going to offer, offer our bodies as living sacrifices? We don't kill anything anymore. It's already been killed. That's why we were baptized, to show the old self died, the new self alive. Are we going to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God? That's our focus, pleasing God by living a holy life. And every day we have to make that decision. Every time we turn on the TV set, well, even before we turn it on, should I turn it on or shouldn't I? Should I go on this website or shouldn't I? Should I talk to this person about this thing or shouldn't I? Should I read this, watch this? Listen to this, smoke this, drink this, right? Should I or shouldn't I? What would be pleasing to God? What will be a living, make myself a living sacrifice? What would help me to become a transformer instead of being conformed? Every minute of every day, every second, we have to make that decision. Jesus or the world? Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer... As we see what Jesus has gone through for us. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. How is God speaking to us? We've put our faith in Christ. We're, we're, we've given our life to him. But are we offering our bodies as a living sacrifice? Are we being conformed or are we being transformed? through his word and through Christian fellowship and through worship and through prayer. What is is in our mind? What are we putting into our mind and into our hearts? In this time of prayer, maybe there's something God is convicting us of in our life that has been conforming us instead of allowing us to be transformed, becoming like Christ. Would you surrender that today? When we walk out of here today, we're going to be faced with that choice Caesar or Christ, the world or Jesus. We're going to be facing that every second of every day. Would your prayer be today God, I want to pick Jesus, I want to live for him. I want to have intimacy and a close relationship with you, Father, through Jesus. I don't want anything to get in between us. I don't want anything to drain my spiritual power. I don't want anything to steal my purpose, the purpose you've given me for my life. I promise if you pray that prayer every day, continually your life will be transformed our lives will be transformed maybe here today while we're all praying maybe you're 10 you're not a christian yet maybe you're just starting that seeking process awesome keep seeking but maybe the holy spirit is speaking to you about making the choice today The Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart just like we heard these testimonies in the baptism last week. Testimony after testimony about God, the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts and, and bringing us to Christ. Maybe today is the day that you make that decision, that choice, choosing Jesus over the world or anything in the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one And only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You can have that life in Jesus right now, starting this moment, and it will go on through all of eternity a brand new life in Christ. It's just a prayer of faith. Whoever believes in him. The word believe isn't just intellectual. It means to put your heart's trust in. To completely put your hope and trust in. That's what faith means. And right where you're sitting, you can say, God, I believe in Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. that he died in my place, that he took my beating, that he took my punishment so that I don't have to be judged, so that I can have a new life, a brand new life, real life. I put my faith in Jesus. Please forgive my sin. I repent of it. I don't want it anymore. I ask you to forgive me. I'm going to follow Jesus. I give my life to Him. If you've prayed that prayer of faith today, or if you do pray it sometime soon, the Holy Spirit has come inside of you. The Spirit of Jesus is actually living in you. Your heart, your mind, and your life will never be the same. Not saying it's going to be perfect, but you're going to have a peace and a joy and a purpose that you've never known before. You're going to have a spiritual power that you never dreamed possible to fight the battles. I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Maybe you have a friend or family member here. Or tell me on the way out or fill out the card in the bulletin, stick it in the box, text, email. Let somebody know. Because we'll be excited for you and we'll help you in your new life in Christ. Father, I pray that every one of us would remember as we walk out these doors And we face our many battles. And as we fall flat and we keep on being resurrected as we sang about earlier. Resurrected over and over again through Jesus' power. Father, I pray that you would just really convict us, Christ or this world. I pray that we would know Christ in a powerful way, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.